0: Welcome back everyone to R2Cast number 34, now a weekly show which is all getting quite fun, meeting a lot of folk now as opposed to the sort of maybe one a week here and there and trying to keep it a couple of months ahead. It's now three or four a week which is really good, uh, meeting a lot of folk throughout the industry. Really interesting one today, as they all are, I say that every single time, really interesting one today. I probably wouldn't be doing it if it wasn't an interesting one today. Um, today we have... Linbreck Croft and we've got Lynn in particular from Lynbreck. If you want to say hello there, Lynn.
1: Hello, it's nice to be here. Thanks so much for inviting us to be a part of this. It's very exciting.
0: Before we get on in to another excellent episode of the R2 Cast, I would just like to thank the sponsor for the show today, the Scottish Farmer. A weekly magazine highlighting everything you need to know regarding the Scottish agricultural industry, whether it's breaking news, events happening in the sector market reports, classified ads or just wholesome stories happening in the industry, the Scottish Farmers got it for you. Absolute pleasure, uh, one half of Lynn Breckcroft here today um, and I, I apologise uh, Lynn for in the past few emails I've just been spelling your name as Lynn and Lynn Breit, so I, I apologise which <laughs> I know I have since found out is incorrect. <laughs> okay.
1: You're not the first and you won't be the last. <laughs> it's
0: just too just two need each other. <laughs> I know
1: I know I know it's a common you know, it's a common question you know um did you name Lynn Breck after you and it used to be like so you're Lynn and then they'd look at Sandra and go and are you Breck and it was no it's not <laughs> it's 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 not that so yeah it's cool it's cool it's all good
0: when you expand and buy a second farm, it's going to have to be Sandra Breck, isn't it?
1: <laughs> I'm going to make a note of that.
0: <laughs> you shouldn't really have to try to remember that. It should be quite easy. Uh, yeah. yeah, I like um, it. <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure quite a lot of you uh, have came across Lynn before. Um and Sandra, just 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 Lynn here with us today though, uh, on social media or on the telly, uh, very exciting. Um, or as just mentioned off camera, newspapers and such like, um, they are what you would say farming famous. I would say it's what I like to sort of coined that term myself, but I'm taking it anyway. Um, but as we always do, I quite like to hear a bit about the background about the people on the podcast. So. Could you tell us, Lynn, just a bit and, and talk for Sandra as well? That would be really good about your sort of background. Was it farming or was it not? <clears throat>
1: So, so the short answer to that is no for both of us. Uh, so a little bit about me, first of all. So I grew up in Northern Ireland um, and uh, I left when I was uh, 19 to go to university and I studied archaeology um, in Birmingham. So I moved you know, away from home and moved over to England. Um, studied archaeology, worked for a short while as an archaeologist and then like a lot of people kind of leapt around from different career paths to others. Uh, I worked in youth work, I worked as a ski rep at a ski resort I did all sorts of things and really what I was trying to do was figure out what it was that I wanted to do with you know the rest of my life and um, I always had this kind of passion for nature and the outdoors and so in my kind of late 20s I decided to kind of completely retrain and I managed to get a position as an apprenticeship with the National Trust. Um, So that again was in was in England, and that meant that I was kind of outdoors working in nature and really, really loved that. Sandra, she uh, she grew up uh, on the outskirts of Zurich in Switzerland. Uh, Her dad is uh, from Switzerland, but her mum's actually from just outside Dundee. Um, So she she grew up in Switzerland, but came to Scotland, you know, back and forth all the time, trained as a librarian. So also not a farmer. and then followed a kind of a similar kind of life path, I guess, and that she tried lots of different things and then eventually found herself also working uh, as an apprentice ranger for the National Trust. And then that's where we met. And really, it, you know, Wallace, it was quite early on that we we kind of had the shared dream of of living a life that was much more in harmony with with the kind of the land, so really kind of getting back to nature. So um, we decided to leave our jobs uh, with the National Trust and move up to Scotland because um, Sandra felt kind of really drawn to Scotland, and also because you know land is you know more affordable up here, and that's that's the kind of the fact of it. So we we lived in the Borders for two years, uh, tree planting, and we used that as a kind of a, a base for which to to kind of look for land. And you know, fast forward two years from being there, we found Limbret Croft um and and here we are today
0: Uh, brilliant and i'd I'd like to get into how the the sort of process involved Mm -hmm. in getting Lindbreak break because it's it's quite interesting crofting is not just small farms there's more to it Um, absolutely and and that'll be quite interesting i do quite want to ask one thing as a person in education apprenticeships and such always interests me what what was involved in the
1: uh,
0: in that apprenticeship apprenticeship in particular
1: so it, it was it was an absolutely incredible experience and I only wish I'd had the opportunity to do it 10 years earlier. So the apprenticeship that that, that we both did, it it sort of changed slightly when Sandra did hers. because She did hers a year or two after mine, but mine was a three year apprenticeship. So we were paid a wage um, and for the three years uh, we went to uh, agricultural college basically for t- in two-week blocks. So we went five times a year. Um, so it was Reese Heath College down in Nantwich. Mm-hmm. And we'd go and stay residentially uh, for two weeks with all the other trainee rangers. We'd have loads of classes on all elements of, you know, things like countryside management. Uh, and then we go back and work on our different individual properties. Um, absolutely phenomenal experience. Brilliant. What an incredible way to learn, um, an incredible way to gain experience and 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 meeting, you know, people from all over, the all, all walks of life. So certainly my and, and Sandra's um, experiences of, of apprenticeships were just brilliant.
0: No, good. And it's good to hear that because, I mean, the... We do apprenticeships for agriculture, yeah. and it's it's interesting to hear how folk learn. Cause some folk just want to go into a classroom, they want to do it, and yeah. they want to leave And and the apprenticeship at that level is an excellent way of 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 learning and also being like in it and not just sort of finishing a qualification and just getting thrown in, you know. Um, so no, that's good. Uh, good to hear hear.
1: absolutely i mean i i i did a you know i did a an undergraduate degree i also did a master's degree in archaeology you know so i'd I'd kind of done the academic side what i loved about the apprenticeship was that as soon as i learned something i got to put it into practice so my brain was still ticking away you know even when i was out in the field you know felling a tree my brain was still ticking away um super way to learn
0: no good but it is it's so cool to hear for the most part, apprentices are normally out of school, mm. and that's great. I love, I love to hear the sort of what, what's the saying, no, no wrong path, which I think is okay. brilliant. You know, yeah. in any way we've all got different ways of getting to the place we're in, and and I think that's excellent. I just, it's it's kind of hard to ask Sandra questions given she's not there. Sandra, hello, listeners, I'm sorry. Um, the I'll have to try and make that quieter. The, uh, they make hands down the best chocolate the Swiss, uh, mm. you know, brilliant milk, brilliant chocolate, but that's totally a side <laughs> fact, um, so uh, a life essentially not, in, well not essentially, not in agriculture, no, uh, not at all, for the both of you, um, yeah. which is really cool, I mean when I started this podcast, it was purely aimed at so many people, mainly teenagers, were interested in Wallace, you know, how would you get into farming, And and I was sort of in the privileged position of, God, I've got the easiest way in. Mum and dad own a big farm.
1: Yeah.
0: Overprivileged, if you will. And Mm. I don't think you can be overprivileged if you don't take advantage of it. But my Mm. thought was, let's see if I can show what's out there. And I think this is going to be a great story for that reason. Mm -hmm. 2016 was when you took over Lund. Yeah, took over Lundbrick. So could you just tell us what was involved in that? How did it come about? And yeah.
1: Yeah, so, so we we um, so we so found Limbrec the year before and we found it on the open market. Um, we knew fairly early that it was a registered croft, so covered under crofting law. So whenever we were in the process of uh, looking to purchase it, um, we had to recruit a, a crofting law specialist solicitor, I guess, to make sure that everything was kind of covered. Um, we were in a very fortunate position you know we we'd kind of we were a little bit older in our lives in in looking for land so we'd managed to save up a bit of money and that was basically the reason as to why we were able to you know to buy the place but and i and i always say that because you know whenever we talk about getting people into farming and crofting getting people back on the land the biggest barrier every time is not knowledge it's not experience it's I haven't got money and I haven't got any land and, 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 you know, and that, and that's a solution that, you know, I don't have, none of us I think have to that problem. So, but I think we need to keep talking about it. We need to keep getting it out there. Um, So anyway, we were in a position to, to, to buy the land um, and uh, we, we, we bought the land in, in 2016 moved here. Caveat is, is that whenever we were looking for somewhere to buy, we were looking for about, about five acres because our vision our plan was was really it was quite sort of focused on what it was that we wanted, which was to grow our own food, maybe have a few hens and uh, a few something like diversify into some camping plots, you know, enough just to kind of pay the bills. limbreck was 150 acres, so it, quite a bit bigger than what we had been looking for. We, we, we fell in love with the land, though, and we fell in love with the landscape and the view and the area, you know, the whole package. So whenever we arrived, we had to make a decision. So the decision is, do we stick with our original plan and take our kind of one acre onto the side of kitchen, garden and all that kind of stuff, and then just let the rest do its own thing? Or do we completely replan and look at that landscape and think, you know, can we you know, make it an incredible place for nature It already is an incredible place for nature. But can we continue that, but also actually maybe look into using it as a farm, you know, as a working kind of croft, um, continuing on the kind of cultural heritage elements that had been for centuries before doing it in a way where we were using all this incredible practical and academic ecological knowledge that we would gained from our apprenticeship. So that's kind of that's that that was our footing. That was where we started. Um, but no no farming background. So it's all very well saying, oh, well, yeah, so we're going to create this nature-friendly farm, but um, I don't know anything about cattle. I don't know anything <laughs> about pigs, you know. I, I always talk about how, you know, we, we've just we've just got a book out at the minute and I talk about how in that we learned that, you know, a cow is no longer just a cow and a sheep is no longer just a sheep. You know, you've got cows, you've got heifers, you've got bullocks, you've got steers, you've got stots, you know, sheep, you've got... Yows, you've got gimmers you've got top we didn't know any of these words and that was just scratching the surface of of the kind of the hurdles that we had to overcome
0: it's it's funny you say that you know you've got heifers yada 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 first off never heard of stots before um
1: oh there's a word for you
0: what what is it exactly <laughs> it's uh, a steer right okay yeah i, <laughs> I assumed as much and yeah. and that's where it gets confusing we bring students on and you're like right so what's a hog to you, <laughs> and then this is different. This is different. A pig? Yeah. No, no, no. They spoke and sheep. You, know? <laughs> uh, you know. Exactly. It, it's, it's it's totally different everywhere. Um, yeah. So first off, if if you're listening and you don't follow Limbrick Croft, it's Limbreak underscore Croft on Instagram. Is that That's right? correct. It's, yeah,
1: that's correct. Yeah
0: give it a follow because you mentioned the views and oh my god <laughs> they are gorgeous they really nice. are yeah very nice very yeah. nice and it's just it's near it's near the Cairngorms isn't it or is it within yeah, yeah.
1: that's right we're, it, so we're within the Cairngorms National Park so the actual Croft is uh, our nearest town is Grand Town on Spey uh, so we're just on the the kind of I guess the northeastern corner of the cairngorms national park the croft itself is located at uh, we're 350 meters above sea level so we're really really high altitude the top of the croft the croft is pretty much all on a hill so the lower part of the croft goes down to 320 meters and up to 450 right. and we face due south which is wonderful because we get the sun but that's where all the prevailing weather comes in and basically because we're on the side of the hill between us and cairngorm it's just air so it gets pretty fierce. So, so not only, you know, so, so you kind of take all of that into context whenever we first moved here. For, you know, there was, the, there was the kind of the knowledge side of thing. It was also the fact that we didn't have any money at this stage to do anything with. The Croft was in a semi-derelict state. And we were in a really exposed, challenging farming climate. You know, we weren't in some nice kind of fertile valley. You know, we were on acidic soils, high exposure, short growing season. You know, you name it, we had that challenge to face.
0: Yes. Oh, do you know, embarrassingly, as a, as a very proud Scots person, I have to say, I have not been more north than Perth. Wow. Um, yeah, embarrassingly, it's bad. <laughs> and every time I speak to someone more north than Perth. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the, it's wow, or it's you know getting act together or something. Um, and, and by the looks of it, I really, I really should be. Um, so aim for five acres, have a hundred and fifty, yeah. uh, yeah. somewhat of a. Oh right, <laughs> how did that <laughs> yeah, happen? Yeah, exactly. This will be fun. Uh, yeah. The obviously with a, a strict focus on biodiversity and regeneration, which is mm. great to see. um Before we get into that, could I just quickly ask what sort of numbers of sheep and cattle you do have, or is it? Yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, I it kind it. of, yeah, so it, it sort of fluctuates uh, throughout the year, um, but with fairly small numbers overall. So we carry about 12 pigs, uh, 12 rare breed pigs over the course of the year. Um, we've got in the summer, we're carrying about seven head of cattle. Um, we don't have any sheep. Um, we carry, we've got about 70 uh, hens. And yep. we have about eight hives of bees as well. So it's a really kind of diversified, uh, you know, kind of typical small-scale farming setup, I would say.
0: Yeah, no, I, I don't know where I, got, I thought we did a sheep, but anyway, the the anyway, what's the honey like?
1: Oh, I mean, it's like honey you've never tasted before, you know, it's just... It's, it's a <laughs> salesperson. <laughs> yeah. It's I mean, it's incredible honey, because the, the one thing that's incredible about our honey is that we, we do two. we kind of like do two varieties. We do a wildflower honey and then we do the heather honey and the wildflower honey, I just think blows my mind every year because it's from it's from wildflowers that are things like, you know, white clover. It's from tree pollen, from things like early flowering willow. I mean, I'd never take and and people generally have never tasted honey like it. It's so, I think, unique in its flavours. And I don't think there's many places that you can actually get really authentic wild, wildflower honey. That's not, you know, from flowers in your garden. You know, it's like hawthorn flowers and all that kind of thing. So I
0: absolutely awesome and you know i don't know if you follow a person called carl from the sustainable hub and down in england and he's just very similar to yourself sort of aiming to be self-sufficient creating everything down to sugar in the form of honey and um honey's a bit honey wasn't something i was overly interested in i quite like honey honey and milk oh my god delightful uh very camp there (laughs) honey uh, honey is something that i've really started to sort of like take a spoonful of it and enjoy, you know, yeah. and it's, it's it's a fantastic product to, to try out. Yeah. Um, the there's there's a major focus, as I said, on biodiversity regeneration. Yes. What so what what does what does that mean? Tell us what that means. <laughs>
1: um. So so it means all sorts of things in different ways, I guess. And really, um. So, so we talk about uh, you know farming with nature or following principles of what is very popular very popularly now referred to as regenerative agriculture (laughs) all of this stuff when we started out you know in 2016 uh was obviously all there but it wasn't really talked about as much as it is now you know it's really talked about a lot especially regen ag um the first thing was was that so we, we have Limbrec, we've moved here we have this land of opportunity and we've no knowledge in farming initially we think that's a real kind of negative thing you know we think that's really working against us on reflection now we think actually you know could it have been a positive thing because we didn't come to farming with all these kind of preconceived ideas of what we should do so so setting that aside um you're thinking right if i want to start up a farming business obviously the first thing that you're thinking is well knowledge one two money because, um, you know, no matter what kind of farming business you run, you need some level of infrastructure. You know, even if it's very basic stuff like some electric fencing, you know, buying the animals, you know, it, it adds up. And um, we didn't have any at that stage. So the first thing was, if we if we if we want to farm, what's the way rather than thinking, how can I make the most money? It was thinking, how can I spend the least money? And that's how we started. And one of the ways to spend the least money in our eyes was to work with what we've got. So look at what was around us. Look at the grassland that was around us, the woodlands, the landscape, look at the climate, look at all of that, our location. And think, what have we got and what animals, if we're going to go into farming, are going to work here? Uh, So cattle wise it was like well highland cattle highland cattle are going to work here because they're hardy they're hairy they eat heather they eat grasses they eat tree leaves they eat lichens so we don't have to change we don't spend any money on changing the the landscape um they're they're kind of quite docile animals whenever they're well handled so we can move them around the fields um getting them to spread that you know manure around which is obviously going to feed the soil so we're not having to fertilize the fields because the animals are going to do it for us and then at the end we have this incredible produce which is going to be pure highland beef which we can market as pure highland beef and get a maximum kind of return on that our overheads are low because you know we carry low numbers so we maximize the grazing season so we're trying to reduce our hay costs in the winter Um, and you know really we estimate that a highland cattle for one year cost us about 100 pounds so our overheads are so are really 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 low and then we're seeking to maximize it at the other end so that was one of the real principles of of farming with nature for us was rather than change the land so rather than go in and plow and reseed rather than buy an animal that we're going to have to house all winter that's going to need expensive feed you understand your land you look at the animal that fits it and then you put the two together and that's really I would say, the principles of it. Um, we then kind of built on that for the other la- the other animals and and I those call them team members that we had because you look at nature as a system and the one thing that nature does not operate in is individuality. It does not operate in a monoculture. So therefore, what we wanted to do were have a, a kind of a suite of animals um, that worked as part of you know, the ecology that nature is, which is a diverse kind of multi-beneficial system. The thing I love about nature is I always say that nature is not a competitive system, it's a collaborative system. Yes, you work to the benefit of yourself, but also for the benefit of everything around you. So it was thinking, right, you know, let's take that cattle example that I shared, shared with you, okay? We've got the cattle moving around. They're you know they're dunging throughout the field. You know they're not getting any treatments. Low cost you know natural fertilisers. How about we throw some pasture hens into the mix? So we have a mobile hen house that works through the fields, um, you know in and around where the cattle have been. Those hens then start to get into the area, they scratch out the moss, they scratch out the thatch, uh, they scratch out the cow pats, spreading the fertility, helping it to break down quicker, Um, and then they're providing us with this incredible um, egg to sell. So, so you kind of it's a multi layer. That's what I'm trying to say. You know, you've got the cattle moving through the hens moving through the cattle are providing you with beef, the hens are providing you very in the very short term with eggs that you can sell. And the beauty about it is, is that you're getting paid to um, regenerate your land. And and that to me, I guess, is the essence of farming with nature. I think also I could talk about this all night, so I'm gonna try oh, and be quick. Oh, please do.
0: I'm loving it.
1: <laughs> so I think I also it. I think <clears throat> also what I would say for us, the second element of farming with nature is looking at the business side, okay? So, you know, we run a very sort of, you know, a, a fairly sort of small setup here, um, but we are now full-time here. So we have to, you know, we have to make it a, a self, you know, a profitable business so that we can pay the bills. You know, that's the fact of it. Um, So I would say that our business model is also based on nature in that it's diverse. So, you know, it's a multi-legged stool. So we have... Highland beef, we have rare breed pork, we have honey, uh, we have um, uh, eggs to sell, uh, we do tours, uh, we do courses, you know, we do talks, we, we we build, everything kind of works out from that so that, you know, that one-legged stool, if it loses that leg, it's not going to topple over because there's actually another 10 that are going to prop mm-hmm. it up. So actually farming with nature, I think, is also about a diversified business model that you know at the end of the day it's all focused around food production that's the fundamental core of it but it then kind of blossoms out like a beautiful spring flower you know it's like a sunflower you know it's like got a, kind of the central part but it's got all these like little petals off of it and they're all interconnected so for me farming with nature is not just the birds and the bees it's actually the business as well
0: uh, you said you could talk forever I mean honestly I said please <laughs> do it's out this is so interesting to me and do you know that idea of of um nature collaborating is brilliant yeah and just just sort of creating that what would you say that sort of eternal symbiosis of the whole place you know um yeah. brilliant really interesting and do you know i think the well not the best part i found all of it interesting but the, the interesting part you said there was a lot of people that talk about um in particular in smaller places uh, a yeah. regeneration and stuff like that they focus solely on the nature and the regeneration and the food production and then like money Yeah. <laughs> like you you've totally integrated that business system into it. it is also a business um which which makes it viable it makes it not just a, a really cool idea it makes it something that's going to work for a while um, I, I,
1: I think that's it and I think as well you know our our business you know we are we are what we are we are a small scale farm we are you know we are a Scottish craft and therefore we produce a small amount of food on the small amount of land that we have um so so we, we can't you know we can't sort of feed the world from that but what we can do is feed ourselves and then contribute to feeding our local community and that's what we really love about it and I guess by working the business element in it's showing that that kind of system is valid and it is viable and it can contribute not just to you know the food 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 production element but community as a whole and i think for me that is what is the nuts and bolts of regenerative agriculture you know regenerative agriculture is yes it's about soil health it's about you know the, the, the nature but it's also about people and regenerative agriculture is all about i believe you know reconnecting people um, with where their food comes from getting them to care about that making them feel like they want good food making them feel better when they eat it because it's like the best quality and it's come from five miles down the road and they can go and say hiya to your farmer i think that's awesome
0: that personality has got to add something to it hasn't it you know it's absolutely and (laughs) i find myself looking at the proverbial rabbit holes to jump down which (laughs) which one will i choose Um, i've been down all of them (laughs) (laughs) and, and continue to do so um I want to get into the diversification side of Mm. Windbreak and and you're producing food, you're farming nature, uh, Mm -hmm. but also the the diversifications I'd like to get into as well. Um, Before we get away from this, because it's something I've wanted to ask you since I brought you on and I've Mm -hmm. totally forgotten, um, what is crofting law? (laughs)
1: <laughs> did, you, did you really want me to talk all night no I I, I I i i'd love to say that i can't i can't talk all night about this because i am i you know i i know probably as much as you do wallace in terms of crofting law but um it, it's it's basically that the, the land holding that we have is a registered croft um that is protected or legalized or, or legislated under the crofting act uh which is a, a legislation that came about came about after the the Highland clearances in a way to basically protect people uh, who owned these small parcels of land to never be cleared off the land again it's a legislation that's evolved devolved I don't know it however however you want to describe it throughout the years it's notoriously complex um, but what it's trying to do is is protect the land so that it's always worked and so there's two laws that we have to you know, really kind of follow. One is that we have to live on or within 32 kilometers of the croft. And the second is that we have to work it. And now traditionally working it would have been agriculturally. Nowadays, it can mean also diversification. So you can have a croft and run like a little campsite or something on it, for example. The main, I think, I think the main thrust, and I say this without any kind of uh, authority whatsoever, is that, you know, you're keeping people on the land and you're keeping people in the community. So you've got the social and the economics, you know, kind of work Working together
0: and and work it does that have to be full-time no Do you know no right no
1: yes. no it doesn't have to be full-time it's it's just basically to try and protect these you know really special little places from being swallowed up in in you know like a you know the, the land you know is either not worked or you know it's it's parceled up and you've got the house that goes to a you know, a second home or something, because yeah. generally Crofts are in, mm. you know, it, I, I always get told off for saying this, but generally Crofts are in the most beautiful part of Scotland, <laughs> you know, which <laughs> is, you know, the Northwest or dramatic or whatever, mm. but, you know, the Northwest, and then we're kind of on the Eastern fringes of the Crofton counties, but it's those really big dramatic landscapes and, you know, the kind of places where people just want to escape to. Yeah. Um, and I think that's where crofting law is really important as long as it's um, enforced uh, that these that this that crofting is protected as a as a as a way of of living on the land.
0: Well, if, if you live in somewhere pretty that's not crofting, County lynn has just called you out entirely. Uh, <laughs> you know, called, I've done this, this before. Place <laughs>
1: this place is prettier. This place is I've done this before, and then I I find myself saying it, and I just think, oh, just be quiet, and then it just comes out. So, <laughs> so yes, I'm I'm yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um. Just one quick question. I can't you get myself out of that, can I?
1: The...
0: No, no you won't. <laughs> no,
1: you won't I'll,
0: I'll make sure when Sorry. I'm when I'm advertising it to mention that. I'll timestamp it and everything. Yeah. Don't. Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> um you mentioned the the port was rare breeds. What rare breeds are they? The yes.
1: So usually uh, we have Oxford Sandy and Black. Um Rare breed pigs. So um, we don't we don't farrow on site. Um, So we use uh, we've got kind of a few uh, local breeders in our area who specialize in that particular breed. Uh, Super breed, absolutely brilliant. So um, hairy, uh, generally orange with black spots. Um, traditionally known as the plum pit pudding pig, or even the woodland pig as well. Um, really lovely temperaments. You know, I always say that pigs have got like the biggest joie de vivre ever. They just love everything. Super smart, super intelligent. Um, and we use them for different jobs around the croft. So for example, when we got our first pigs, the first jobs that we used them for was to clear an area of ground, break, you know, get their snouts in there, break it up, um, that we were then going to plant uh, 320 trees as part of a shelter belt, which was going to connect two woodlands. So it was going to be not only providing shelter, but a really nice kind of habitat corridor. Mm -hmm. So rather than us doing all the work, we got the pigs to do the work for us obviously a bit of fertiliser in there as well from their back end. And then we went in and planted. Um, we also use pigs uh, in our woodlands uh, or in kind of um, sort of slightly more rougher grazings, I would say. We work them through, uh, they snuffle, they break up the ground and they expose little pockets of soil uh, where either, you know, things like seeds that are in the seed bank can pop up and grow or, uh, or tree seedlings can fall and, and you know, it's kind of new growth. So, so again, it's thinking of, you know, how do we use our pigs in a way that regenerates the land that we have all the time. And then what we do, Wallace, is whenever, you know, whenever they've kind of had their time here, making sure they're always kind of super busy super active um, they then go off to the we take them to the abattoir ourselves um, then we bring them back to Limbrec, um from the abattoir uh, after the after the kill to butcher them so we have a, an on-site micro butchery here so we bring the animals back and we do for our pork we do all of our own butchery ourselves um, we also uh, and we you know, we also do a lot of kind of added value range because, you know, coming back to the economics of small scale farming, you know, what we what was the biggest eye opener for us was that whenever we sold our first pork, you know, even when we were kind of charging it as, you know, kind of a higher than average, you know, market rate, we weren't making any money. And that was a big wake up call, you know. Um, so we were thinking, right, you know, moving forward, how do we do this? How do we how do we make this viable Um, and you know yeah we can we can do the marketing side you know we can talk about the work they do we can talk about how they're on organic feed we can talk about the regenerative benefits but that's still only going to get you a certain height a certain ceiling Mm. so you're in a conundrum so do you either um, you know so what do you do do you do you you get more pigs but if you get more pigs are they going to be still regenerative do you have the land because pigs need a lot of land you know you're going to need to carry them more regularly are you going to be hitting is too hard year on year so one do we compromise what we believe are our kind of true core regenerative principles by increasing stocking or do we maintain the current stocking levels and instead we take the produce and add value to it and that was the decision that we made so by installing our own micro butchery on site we could start to create this incredible range of produce that you simply cannot buy you know in any shops um all handcrafted by us um you know just incredible thing. you know we we come up with all sorts of ideas like we we had we, we created a a pork and and organic cheddar cheese sausage you know taking chunks of our local uh cheddar from our from our nearby organic dairy mixing it in with our kind of top secret sausage recipe and then getting that out and people go nuts for it. it's the kind of stuff you know as i say you can't buy or or just just even making some really nice oak smoked Uh, streaky bacon you know from 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 rare breed pigs you know you're taking the value of something that's maybe one pound a kilo and then you're making it 10 pounds a kilo Mm. so so for us that was an additional way to increase the income um, without compromising what we wanted to achieve here by just simply increasing production
0: first off that wasn't fair I mean I haven't had my dinner and you're going to (laughs) do lovely things me neither yeah, and uh, and secondly I just I just love the image of uh, Lynn and Sandra can never go anywhere together because the secret recipe will disappear no, no,
1: people have asked we don't tell them no we don't tell them no that's why Sandra's not here tonight that's the <laughs> only reason
0: <laughs> um, it is top oh, secret so- <laughs> some of those just sound brilliant I mean it's um this will be I'm just trying to think where we are I'm filming a bit early as we are to cast uh, 34. 31 was Stephen Mitchell um, of the Buffalo Farm. And, uh, oh, yeah. Talked talk about the add value thing, and I do a module on add value And from from uh, when I did my degree, which uh, I, I graduated from oh, 2018, I think, um, beef and lamb products were 425% give or take retail that they were wholesale, and uh, pork was was about 380 from memory. Right. Um, Mental, and I, I think it's really cool that you guys talk about that and you, you talk about that real side of it. So many people are like, let's buy a farm, they make money. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, but it, it's just not reality. I think I always think of that David Mitchell comedy. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but he's like, buy a farm, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Corn grows up the ground, you know. It's, yeah. it's a, um, Sorry to every Cornish person ever. Terrible. <laughs> maybe should take that note uh, but it's it's good to sort of see the real side of that and the fact that, that that really isn't the case Um, and I've mentioned Stephen Mitchell here and I've mentioned it intentionally for a bit of a, a yes. caveat into uh, you guys were on the TV um, yes. as part of This Farming Life now I'm going to hold my hand up I told you before uh, we filmed I watch nothing um, as I said to you if it's not The not Office when I'm in bed I watch nothing uh, so yeah. I've seen very small snippets of the farming life. Um, could you tell us about that? How it came about, what was yep. involved as well, I guess, and and what it sort of did for you guys.
1: <clears throat> yeah, so so it's a really good question. And it's a, it's quite a fun one reflecting back on farming life. So we were on series three. So the the, the camera crew were following us in 2018. Now 2018 was the first year, like our first formal official year of. Uh, bringing livestock onto the croft and really starting to try and build up a farming business because it's worth, it's worth pointing out that, you know, now, now Sandra and I are here full time for the first four years, we were working off farm, you know, to try and kind of bring in the income that was needed to sort of keep things taken over as we built everything up. Um, So anyway, so, so the reason the the kind of farming life came about because uh, a friend, we we don't have a TV. Okay. So a bit like you, uh, we don't, we, we don't watch anything, well we, we can't because we haven't got a tv um but, cool. <laughs> it's tricky so so I didn't know anything about farming life but anyway a friend tagged us and said oh you know they're looking for another you know you should you should kind of look you know go for it so um I I kind of I don't know, I had one of those kind of wild moments where I kind of you know shot shot from the hip and fired off an email and lo and behold um the yeah the, the lady called back and said yeah we're really interested we want to come out and film you and you know Fast forward another few months, then we got a call saying, OK, you know, we, we, we want you to be in the series and can we come and start filming next week? And we had this kind of moment. Uh, so the, 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 call, the call came through and I kind of went running down to Sandra and I went, do we, do we want to do this? And you know, do we want to do this? It was one of those sort of moments. And and really, it's, it's it feeds into everything that's actually very relevant to even this conversation right now, Wallace, this kind of thing that I'm doing with you right now, is that we found ourselves not only in a completely different place in our lives in terms of in farming, but also in terms of, you know, talking about what we do. We've become so impassioned uh, about food production in this way that you know, in small scale farming and farming with nature that we really feel part of what we're here to do is to share that story and to share it in a way that's realistic, but actually that's very positive and that's very solution focused and that's practical and viable and valid and all those kinds of things. So whenever we were thinking about farming life, obviously we were really green, you know, for want of a better way of putting it, you were right at the start of our journey. But we thought, you know what, let's do this. Let's show people What it's actually truly like whenever you're bringing your first ever Highland cows onto your you know your farm or croft and you've never really been around them before or what does it look like whenever you're bringing pigs on for the first time and then you're taking them to the abattoir for the first time you know what's that what does that look like how does that feel what does it look like whenever you're talking about oh yeah then we're going to have all these cows and then we're going to have all these chickens are going to follow them what does that look like? How do you build How do you build a mobile hen house? How do you do all this kind of stuff? So so we thought, you know what, we're going to do farming life because we want to share a story. And what we were determined was, was that it would be a positive story that would help that would help others figure out their journey and, and help others feel that. You know they're not alone in wanting to do things in this way so that's kind of how farming life came about um and then they yeah they followed us for for nine months i think we were in seven of the 12 episodes and you know the one thing um that I really love is that you know I look back and I, I really don't like watching it you know I'm always like highly critical and I'm like well, why am I laughing there I look stupid and you know that kind of thing is you know I was obviously really nervous at the time and I'm like going ha 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 and uh you know just things like that but but I watch it back now and I think actually two things one in the very last episode um Sandra is filmed in the field and she's talking about the importance of soil health and i loved that because that was a really critical core message that is the center of regenerative agriculture that was getting into the homes of tens of hundreds of thousands of people yeah. so one that was awesome and um, the second thing was you watch back farming life and apart from my nervous laughter, we actually laughed and smiled so much that year. And for us, it felt like it was a really hard year. You know, it was a really challenging year. We didn't know what we were doing. We were frightened, you know, at times. We found things like bringing the pigs to the abattoir difficult. I cried on camera. Um, Such, such a roller coaster of a year. We were still working off farm. Um, You know, we weren't making any money at that point. But I watched those seven episodes and I thought, Actually, maybe it wasn't so bad. And that's what people saw. And that was great.
0: I hope you've kicked your feet up and got comfy and enjoying another fantastic episode of the R2Cast with another really interesting guest. I would just like to quickly take another second to plug the sponsors of the show today, the Scottish Farmer. And I would strongly advise you to go out and pick one up this week and see even more of the fantastic people that are in our industry. I, that. That is great. And I mean, you know, looking at it, the, the, the fear involved and highly commendable, really. Just taking on a complete unknown, going for it, and then, do you know what? We don't know anything about this. Let's show the world. You know, and yeah. that that's brilliant because that, that's, I said at the start, this podcast is to try and get people into farming. Yeah. If people see that, they're going to think, well, if they can do it, there's no difference to us. What? No. Why can't we? Absolutely. And that's not putting you guys down at all, nope. by the way. But, uh, um, no, but it's true.
1: You're right. You're absolutely right.
0: Yeah. Um, which is great. And, and, and I love the fact that, that looking back, you realised, oh, my God, we were happy. There was a lot of stresses there. But in the yeah. moment, you were just loving life. There was hard times. There was, of course, there was. And one thing I have seen is Jeremy Clarkson's farm. And that one bit that resonates hugely with me and I think did so much for farming in this country was when he's taken the stock to the abattoir and it hits mm. him. And it does, like, it yeah. does hit you. Yeah. Um, yeah. No matter how many hundreds you've put away in your life, it, it, there's a connection there. And people can't take that away from farmers. They absolutely no. can, not No, um,
1: absolutely
0: not. So how long were they with you, with the
1: cameras? So they were here for nine months. Uh, So they started in January 2018 and they were sort of pretty much wrapped up by the end of September uh, 2018. And then the the series came out, I think it was the following February, and it came out in two blocks. So like a six, 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 six episode block and then another six episode block.
0: And that was pretty much nine months straight or on and off?
1: on and off so what would happen is that um so we, we had like a little whatsapp group with the with the camera crew so it was just a, a girl uh, on camera and then a guy a sound guy and um they would uh they would basically kind of message us and say, hey, you got anything going on this week? So it was quite nice because we could, I mean, they weren't with, with us full time, which would have been really, I mean, that would have been really, really hard. Um, they were lovely. They were really lovely. You know, they became very, very close to us. But but yeah, having a camera crew for that amount of time would have been really hard. But it, it was quite nice because it meant that we could, you know, say, yeah, we're doing this this week or no, we haven't got anything going on so that you weren't making up jobs. You know, the whole idea was that like right. they were filming you, real time doing real stuff um and 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 that's yeah that's that's pretty much what they got really with us
0: no that that's interesting because i I was interested to ask that question because Mm. it's that in media there is that i do this the camera but from what i've ever spoken to anyone in this farm in life it very much seems like it was only filmed if it was happening yeah Uh, which which is so good it shows yes. what's real and and it's ne- it's almost always positive there's bad stuff but there's a positive uh, intention there and and that's so good to get out to those millions of folk as you're saying
1: absolutely
0: um you mentioned that was 2018 yes uh, i did, did a bit of research as i do and uh, some people are easier to research than others you're very much very easy to research and that there's a lot about it all um 2018 was somewhat of a record well award-winning year shall I say mm. I mean I've got some examples here and I think I only took about half uh, best new entrant business best crofting new entrant a uh, a compassionate world farming sustainability uh, food sustainability award which is really interesting to talk about because mm. um CIWF sometimes get tarred with the pita brush um, oh, okay
1: interesting yeah yeah, mm-hmm.
0: yeah and 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 I, I say to my students, my ag students all the time, this always gets a reaction, I agree with all the principles of PETA, um, mm-hmm. because I think we do, we're all for animal welfare, all this sort of thing, it's sort of where the activism comes in, and the CIWF one's always interesting because they sort of get tarred with the same brush but very much of good intentions and I don't think it's the same, and I really wanted to know what that award involved, what, what was that for specifically?
1: So it was their um, sustainable food and farming award. So it was for, you know, it was for a, they were looking for a, farm they actually kind of they actually awarded two awards that year so they awarded two mm. awards to small-scale farms so it was us and a, a dairy down I think they're down in the south of England somewhere mm. and they actually then awarded the uh, sustainable food and farming awards large-scale awards which actually went to McDonald's believe it or not yes. um, because they're doing a lot of trials at the minute um, kind of regenerative agriculture trials uh, to try and I guess improve their beef supply so so it was really um yeah I mean it's it's a charity that I I find really interesting and you know they, they say an awful lot of good stuff yeah. um and I guess this 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 award is a way to I guess reward positively the kind of farming that they support that they kind of nail their you know their their colors on um and that they would want to be associated with
0: yeah no I just want to make sure I wasn't saying they're a bad company I wanted to be sure no to no
1: absolutely some... absolutely just, yes uh,
0: yeah, they, they sometimes do get tired with that brush, Um
1: yeah. yeah
0: wrongfully, but um, it's interesting you mentioned McDonald's won that and, mm. and I I back that. I think McDonald's do a lot of good. Um, mm-hmm. it's, it's obviously in a much more intensive system than, than a lot of places, but um, for the most part, he, heavily local country, whatever they're in, supporting all that sort of thing. I, th- I think they do, do a lot of good stuff, McDonald's, but um, yeah, if you want to have a look at, at the awards, Lynn and Sandra obviously deservingly won. I think there's loads. I don't know how many. Endless amounts. But you probably not even put them all in. You know. um, uh, do,
1: do you know what, Wallace? It's it's kind of like um, I'm going to go back to why we did Farming Life and why I'm talking to you and all that kind of stuff. That That's what's important to us. You know, we are so... You Know we're we're motivated by producing our own food, we're motivated by having a good life, we're motivated by waking up every morning with a smile on our face and going to bed with a smile at night. Those are our you know kind of core core values, core motivations in life. Um, but we're what we're also motivated about is getting a really positive story out there. Now, what we don't what what, what we absolutely are not is look at us, this is how you do it. That is everything that we are not. Um what we are is this is one way of doing it, and this is the story of how we got to this point. Um, but it is all about really good food, it's about really good mental and physical health, um, and it's about community, and it's about people, and it's about nature, and it's about connecting the two, and it's about seeing ourselves as part of this whole system and not separate. That is why. We do what we do that is why i'm you know sitting with you here chatting in a podcast in the evening um that is why we we, we kind of spend time on social media you know sometimes um you know you think oh you know i'm tired today i i, I kind of don't want to do this but actually you know whenever then people you know and i'm sure they do this when your podcast They say, oh man that episode was awesome you know thank you so much for making that it's like whenever people say oh you know thanks so much for that you know that tour that you just took me on i get you know i get Farming a little bit more now. And I mean, we get people who come here or who follow us on Instagram. I would say the majority are not in farming. And I I always find that quite interesting. It's people who are wanting to connect with the land and it's people who are wanting to understand more about where their food comes from. And I think that's incredible to be able to have that conversation with people who don't know that a cow is not just a cow and a sheep is not just a sheep. They come out here and they see it. And, you know, we walk around, uh, you know, whenever we do, like I say, for example, one of our public tours, you walk around and we say, this is this, that's that. this is why we do this, this is how it looks different to say kind of conventional agriculture or mainstream agriculture, this is a shed that we built, it cost this much money, that's how much it costs to build sheds and we applied for a grant to fund that because did you know that farming is subsidised, here's how it's subsidised, you can get these grants where you, you can get farming subsidy, blah 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 and then you have those open conversations and you know you can literally see people going oh I didn't know that and it's bonkers, I, I find that kind of you know yeah, really, really enlightening because I think really at the end of the day, farming is about producing food, which mm-hmm. goes to the people. So how do the people not know all of this? And uh, You know, and it's having those conversations like I bet you do with your, your students.
0: Yeah, and, and not just students. I mean, I'm talking at the NFU AGM tomorrow and you're talking different places all the time. BBC videos talk and you find yourself speaking with with people that had nothing to do with farming questions about this it's great I love it yeah love it and and farming to farming as well you Mm. the amount of things you learn talking to each other goodness absolutely every day truly is a school day and and I think that the uh, you guys are sitting at the best part of 10,000 followers on Instagram and Mm. um, there's a lot of people with big followings out there in farming and a lot of people big followings out there in general and I think social media can be so negatively positive, does that make mm, sense? Yeah, like it's yeah. almost like this is perfect. Yeah. But there's so much hidden behind that. And yeah. I think it there's so much merits in talking about the realness about it. Yeah. Um
1: yeah.
0: just quickly get into well, I say quickly again we could talk for hours about this part itself. The two more main parts I really want to cover. Um the you guys have diversified usually yes. you have a farm in itself that that's um, again regenerative. You've got uh, different animals there producing lots of different food. That's that's working alongside the biodiversity, um, but also bills have to be paid. Yep. There's there's other money that has to come in there. What what diversifications have you got? You've mentioned tours, which is a very not going to say strange diversification, but certainly not the, the most common jump to diversification.
1: Sure, sure. <clears throat> well, I think the first thing to, to 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 just sort of highlight, emphasize again, is that all of the diversification, as I say, kind of blooms out, blossoms out from the core, the core model, which is the food production element. But before we go on to the diversification, every single one of our food-producing enterprises cannot run at a loss that's the deal so none of our so 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 they all have to stand on our own on their own two feet so so that's really important to emphasize is that the diversification does not prop them up they have to they have to be self-funding at the very very minimum okay they have to be self-funding so then the diversification blossoms from that so yeah so we do tours um so we do um in the summertime we do a monthly private tour or sorry a monthly public tour which you know people can book on too. uh, and then we offer uh private tours as well we also do a few tours for um uh tourism companies so um there's one in our area called wilderness scotland they kind of do a lot of tours around you know kind of wilder living uh, so they come here for a couple of hours with a group uh, and we also work with a charity called um, scotland the big picture who are a rewilding charity and that's really interesting because we'll get a group of people who have come who are very passionate about rewilding and they come here for two or three hours and we talk about farming and that's brilliant because it shows how you know it's not one or the other you know um and we have really good conversations there um, I always believe that you diversify based on what your strengths are. So you've probably gathered from this conversation that I like to talk, okay? I'm from Ireland. It's a national sport. It's what we do. On the same
0: space. Okay, <laughs>
1: great. And I always do it with a cup of tea which I have here. Land Rover mug. Uh, there See we go. That? See that?
0: Yeah.
1: yeah, um so so that's something that I really enjoy doing. So offering um the diversification in terms of that sort of side uh seem to really fit in with you know my skill set in particular so we thought right let's go with that it's also a way you know that we can kind of earn a little bit extra income and it's also a way that delivers that bigger core vision of what Limbrec is about which is you know reconnecting people with food um, and and nature so so it kind of ticks all the boxes Um, so another diversification that we do is uh, we now offer courses as well so um, we thought that it would probably be uh, of real value to write our own course um, based on our direct experience here at Limbreck. So it's, it's a really kind of hands-on, engaged, five day, I guess, quite intensive uh, course where people come, uh, they can camp on site, um, they eat some of our produce, and they learn from everything that we've done. And, and what I love about the course is that, you know one, one afternoon, you're out with the cattle okay so Sandra's been through you know handling and you know you go out and you're in with the cattle we're talking about regenerative grazing mob grazing we're looking at electric fencing you know all these kind of principles animal welfare cattle health blah 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 the next day you know you're inside with me we do it in the barn uh, and we're talking about what does accounting look like if you live whereby you don't get a salary every month. What does that look like? You know, what are the tax bands? What are the tax that you're going to have to pay? What is VAT? You know, what's accounting software? I know you're looking at it going, oh, but it's kind of bringing that real time element into it. Um, And then the next day, or the next morning you're in the kitchen garden and we're talking all about growing food for yourself we're talking about skills of um, no dig gardening we're talking about permaculture we're we're looking at the vegetable crops that we grow we're going into the polycrub and uh, you know we're talking about you know growing tomatoes at 350 meters above sea level in the north of Scotland um, you know so so it's so kind of varied um, and it's with us directly and again that's ticking all the boxes in that you know, we're sharing food, we're sharing knowledge, people are coming here and it's a course that people pay for. So it's an income stream for us. So that that kind of really fit. Um, an additional diversification that we've just gone into is we have a private rental on site. So when we bought Limbrec, um, there were kind of two old stone buildings that were pretty much derelict uh, one had half a roof um, and the other one was kind of watertight but only just so one of them was the buyer um, so we, we kind of renovated that with the support of a what was what, what was at the time a new entrance capital grant which sadly is no longer available um, and then we recently renovated the other one um, and that's a residential property uh, so we let, let that out so again it's another income stream so so what we have and then I mean some people would say that doing things like our butchery is diversification sure, we yeah. we see that as kind of being really kind of linked into the, the the food elements so so that's our kind of main diversification and then I guess all most recently is the fact that we've just written the book so
0: which, Which you've just that is literally the next thing to go into. Look, <laughs> look at that. Do you want a, you want a co-host? What, uh, what, you mean the,
1: you mean this old thing? What? Oh, look at that. Fantastic. <laughs> it's have you like any product sausages? placement. The <laughs>
0: yeah, you, you any sauce just lie there and like that, just, just by chance. Uh, they,
1: they are for my dinner, but <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, yeah, and diversification in some ways is is um is not the only way forward for places mm. to be. For a lot of places to be, and, and let's think post subsidy, <laughs> whatever yeah. that might be. I am not yeah. a policy person. I know nothing about politics. Um, no, but uh, the course thing is really interesting. I mean yeah. that that really. I mean the the whole idea of that five day course just sounds like fun, doesn't it? Yeah. Like it sounds like an enjoyable time to sit down and just do that and then go out and do that. I mean it, it's kind of like what happens when I go home and mum tells me to do this and that seems very similar. Yeah. And I probably <laughs> I probably take it for granted actually yeah. really I was very similar.
1: Honestly awesome. are huge. absolutely
0: <laughs> um so yes the, the book uh, yes is, is what I've written. The book. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> uh, could you could you tell us about the book? Because I haven't yes. got its title so I can't remember it. Um, but yeah, how how long's that taken to come about? And I assume publishing a book's quite a right. It's going out. <laughs> you <know>. Yes,
1: yes. <laughs> Yeah, it's 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 exciting, exhilarating, and utterly terrifying in equal <laughs> measure. So, so the book came about after farming life. Uh, in that we were approached by a publisher. So it's a, this publisher called Chelsea Green, who we actually knew about the publisher because they produce this the most awesome range of books on regenerative farming. You know, they produce books by you know, to me, what are kind of the real leading figures of regenerative farming, people like Joel Salatin, people like Gabe Brown, Charles Massey, you know, those are all Chelsea, they've all kind of published with Chelsea Green. So this email pops in and, you know, I'm like, is this a joke? And, you know, I spoke to the, I I kind of called this guy, um, really, really nice guy, had a chat. He said, right, like, you know, we're really interested in your story. Would you write 800 to a 1000 words for us? See, let's just see if you can write. Did that thumbs up okay so what we now want you to do is work that up into a chapter so about five thousand words and we want to actually get you to expand it even further and we want you to basically list out what a book would look like so took about a month out had a bit of a conversation first of all again we had another conversation like do we want to do this you know it's going to be a lot of work um but again thought well yeah, let us let, you know let's kind of just keep going on this mad journey that's life, and let's let's roll with it because it's a lot of fun. Who who gets who gets asked to do these kinds of things? You know that that's such an incredible opportunity. So thought let's give it a go. Put that through to them. He took it to the the board, gave it a thumbs up. So basically, by I think it was this was all in lockdown year, by the way. So 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 for a lot of us, so so lockdown year for us was a really interesting one because you know that point that I made about each individual enterprise has to be self-funding that was tested in lockdown year because Mm. we couldn't do any of our diversification outreach tours were cancelled courses were cancelled the the, holiday our property to rent wasn't wasn't ready Uh, so 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 everything had to be funding itself and that was the real test and and luckily you know it did Um, so anyway so the book contract came about um in october 2020 Um, we finished the writing and had it all approved by July 2021 mm-hmm. um so it was a real kind of roller coaster of a ride riding it and 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 yeah becoming a writer you know I I I did this thing with with a guy called do you know Patrick Laurie who's written um
0: I don't I know no, that name That's so you know <laughs>
1: So he's written a book called native i I've not read his book, but he's a very you know he's a very well spoken guy, and I know that he's incredibly good with words and we did a, I did an event with him and he he described himself as an author first and a farmer second and I remember I was at the same event and went. I am definitely not an author. Um, But, you know, now I'm kind of thinking, oh, maybe it's not too bad. But um, (laughs) but no. So so we had this. So we all kind of went through and then it all went through the publisher, all approved. um, And then it's basically been since July where it's gone through endless numbers of edits um you know Chelsea Green are are an American and UK company so it's been kind of it's being released in the US as well as the UK um and and basically you know Wallace it's just it's the story of our journey you know it's the story of you know a long version of everything that I've told you in more detail and I think as well detailing a lot more the challenges that we faced and I don't mean not just in terms of farming I mean personally i mean you know working yourself to the bone you know mm. struggling with um you know animals dying you know how that feels uh, when you've only ever been used to having you know a cat for example as a pet and and you know struggling with the financial side of things struggling with you know leaving your job to follow your dreams you know as well as all the good stuff too uh so it's been really really fun to write and now yeah now we're at the stage where it's gonna you know it's 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 out and um it's 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 yeah it's it's exciting and terrifying having people reading your book and 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 then kind of telling you that they like it is is really exciting but you're putting yourself out there
0: of course you are and and I think to make it good you really have to uh, yes, I think yeah. people connect with reality uh, in general, and I mean, I didn't know the th- well. I I didn't know two of the names you said, but Joel Salatin's like the the king of it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> He's like, yeah. yeah, he, he was, uh, yeah. Uh, that's that's really cool and wow. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, we- and I, I I have to apologise. I mean, I say I don't watch TV. I also don't read books. I, I'm just heavily uneducated.
1: Uh, <laughs> but- <laughs> and you're moulding the future of farming. In the- <laughs> <in this country. laughs>
0: but um yeah I'm not a a book reader either but that sounds like one that I could sit down and read It probably take me like four years to read but yeah
1: yeah
0: that sounds brilliant it's a story
1: it's not a I mean it's it's a story we we wanted it to be a kind of story where somebody like you could pick it up or somebody that's in farming can pick it up and relate to it equally it's the kind of story where somebody in the top floor flat in London can pick up and relate to it. It's just a human story. <clears throat> that's what it is at the end of the day. And yes, we do, you know, talk about some details that are in farming, but in a way that's almost take what we're trying to do is take the reader on that journey with us. Mm-hmm. Um and and that's really what it's about. So it's not a it's not a technical manual, it's it's yeah. it's a story, it's a human story.
0: Yeah, and there's emotion in there and folk can Absolutely. Play. Very good, very good. Yeah, definitely. Well, and, I sorry, no, one you go.
1: I was going to say it's called Our Wild Farming Life. So, yeah, um,
0: that. oh, good tie now. Yeah. <laughs>
1: so it was you know that that was really kind of um uh, yeah the publishers were quite keen with that title because it connects it to this farming life which obviously has such a massive following both in the farming and the non-farming community so the idea of the title was to kind of try and tie it in but the use of the word wild was because you know as I've kind of said to you you know, uh, you know two years of our life before coming into farming was in rewilding and you know that's a whole other kind of topic of conversation but you know some people have kind of said that how we farm is a version of wilding farming or wilder farming you know ala the type that on a much bigger set scale say people like Isabella Tree at the NEPA state yep. do you know so it's it's another it's another version it's another model it's not the same thing but it's kind of embracing that kind of you know the wildness of nature as being part of a, you, you know your, your farming landscape.
0: Brilliant. Well, I know. Do you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna read a book. I'm gonna do it. The, the, the last book I read was a uh, uh, Kipper the dog does weather. Uh, Good. <laughs> it, I'm pretty sure it's forty three words because I'm back to check, and my teacher laughed
1: at me. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I and finished could, the book. Okay. Could he do weather? I mean, could he actually well,
0: do? Well, he just stood in weather it was it was okay. heavily heavily unriveting but for for me the the the, the non-red collegiate
1: helped me and um, I would like to confirm
0: I was I was generally about 11 at this stage so like, yeah. I wasn't like a two-year-old <laughs> um,
1: sure you were sure <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, nervous yeah. laugh nervous laugh
0: <laughs> yeah exactly that old that old chester um, yeah, yeah I, that's been great I mean I, I, as I said at the start it's it's a very interesting guest as it always is but that has been a very good episode and um, i always finish every episode with two questions and um, oh here we go they're no they're not too hard and i think you will manage uh, the first one is where do you see yourself in five years or yourselves in five years and secondly uh, i always ask if you had tips for folk and you guys are perfect for this question tips for folk coming into the industry what would they be
1: uh So let's go for the first one, um, because I'm pretty sure that we're still going to be here in five years. Um, When we look at the future of Limbrec, I think we're we're kind of taking it, we very much take it day by day. Uh, So, you know, we're always looking at. Looking at our own thing, which is our own food production. So we're always looking at ways, you know, how can we grow ourselves more food? You know, we reckon that now, Wallace, in terms of what we grow for ourselves, we can we can grow about 95% of our year-round vegetables from our kitchen garden and our polycrub. So we're Probably. like, so. So how can we do that more? So we get excited about sort of things like, and then next year we're going to plant more fruit bushes, and then the year after we're going to, you know, make a root cellar, and then the year after we're going to get dairy goats and we're going to make milk and cheese. You know, so so we kind of have these kind of personal, I guess, uh, life goals. In terms of where Limbreck as a business is going to be, you know, we do think about how can we increase the food productivity of the land without compromising you know um our kind of regenerative principles so you know I like going back to that example I used before with the pigs you know rather than just upscaling pegs, it was add value so what we're starting a project that we're starting this winter which is really exciting is starting to plant um fruit trees in our fields so we're starting um, so the idea is to kind of every year every two years it's, it, we're, we're self-funding it so it's, it's quite it's quite pricey so we can only do a little bit each year but the idea is to sort of create these blocks of productive fruit trees in our our fields that the cattle will continue to graze through so we're not losing any kind of grazing at all um, but we're we're you know in the long term massively increasing the food productivity of the land so i think we'll kind of continue to go along that way um, and that's that's what i'm sort of fairly fairly certain about but who knows it's a journey we're on it and we're just going to enjoy it um, and make the most of it in terms just, of the advice just before,
0: just before you answer yeah. that next question before yeah, i forget yeah, yeah, yeah. You, I think yeah. you'll like this one. This is a little oh, chestnut, as the story goes. Um, is there squirrels around you or not? Uh,
1: r- red squirrels. They're they're getting there. Yeah, we've seen a couple here. Yes.
0: So here's here's a little fun fact. If you grow nuts in any way, uh, yeah. be that whatever, um, and you put like uh, what would you do? See um, how you sort of get like a, a like a and you put the the pole into the metal bits in the ground. Yeah. You've got the wee sort of poles on the ground. If you put that in the ground, yeah, and you put it near that nut bush, whatever, and there's squirrels there, they'll keep them there. They'll 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 almost be your harvesters. Wow. Uh, they'll sit them in there, and you can get a few nuts, and oh, they wow. get to keep theirs there for the rest of the time. That was that was that was that Carl from that sustainable hub that said that. Oh, very cool. Like, Oh my god, I've got to remember <laughs> that
1: one. That so is an hope, incredible fact. Feel free to use that one. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, we'll we'll yeah we'll, we'll trademark it to you via handy.
0: <laughs> <laughs> <Yes. Behind you. laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. Um so so the advice, I mean that's such a difficult question, Wallace, but I think really I can only I can only base it on my own life experience. And, you know, I didn't get into farming until when we moved to Limbreck when I was, was it 36, 37? So I was very much a a late bloomer, as we say. Um, But I'd spent a lot of the years previous to that just figuring out what life was about and i think quite often whenever we're younger we are we're sort of you know we get ideas about something and then we kind of go hell for leather for it and then maybe it doesn't quite work out how we want it to and we try a different career path and then we try a different career path and and i think the first thing that i would say is is you know try try lots of different things get lots of experience um, don't devalue the importance of that you might be desperate to have land, have your own farm, have your own little business, but don't devalue the importance of the, the experience that you can build up to that point. And I'm going to provide you with a really couple of random examples just to illustrate that. One is my time as a National Trust, um, you know, trainee ranger. I learned how to use a chainsaw. I learned how to fell trees. Um Since coming here, that's been really important um, because I, you know, I can fell trees and that's what provides us with firewood. When I was a National Trust Ranger, I also learned how to write Endless amounts of risk assessments. That was really important for when I'm writing risk assessments for tours and courses. So I'm taking that learning and I'm applying it to where I am today. And I'm so grateful that I have that learning. Even random things like, you know, we uh, we had to do a, a survey of a bit of woodland that we wanted to get a bit of funding for natural regeneration from Scottish Forestry. There was some archaeology on that site because I had a background in archaeology. I could write a report that I knew how what it needed to say I Mm -hmm. knew what I needed to write about the mitigation that we needed to do to protect these kind of environmental archaeological features and and I kind of applied that so so no matter where you are in life right now you're learning and you are actually progressing towards the goal you just don't quite know that, that 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 that's the way that it is and now that I'm very old I can now reflect and look back and think that so So the point I'm trying to make is be in the now, live in the now, never look, never lose sight of where it is that you're trying to achieve. Ultimately, if it if it is in farming, then great. If it changes to be something else, then that's fine, too. But really be grateful for every second because it's all contributing to where you're going to end up.
0: Well, first off, very old is not what you are. Uh, (laughs) Just old, just
1: old. (laughs) Not careful there. careful <laughs> how much of a trap is this <laughs> yeah. and
0: other things uh, <laughs> the, yeah I, I love when I ask the five years question and folks say essentially the same thing I love yeah. that because I'm like you're happy you're enjoying it great yeah. yes more stuff but but certainly as it is and yeah I think that the sort of underlying message on the next part was there's loads of transferable skills
1: oh yeah happy, big yeah. time
0: did a master's in food security and then went on and worked in enterprise rental car and now i'm a lecturer like it's, there's so many different things to learn from um but yeah all very good and uh, i hope hope you've enjoyed listening and um, it's 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 became weekly now as i said earlier it's great fun to have loads more people to meet this all, all started during covid and it's been the podcast in general has been great fun because you couldn't speak to anyone you're meeting so many folk and uh, i mean i've met now 40 people throughout this podcast that that I would probably not have met before um and and it's been great for you to be one of them one so I, I appreciate Thank you coming you. on um I hope I hope you've enjoyed your time I think that's just sort of sitting just over an hour which is actually absolutely perfect um and I best let you get on to have your probably home reared dinner
1: yeah, yeah, it's, it's sausages tonight. So, um, listen, Wallace, thank you so much for having <laughs> having me on. Uh, yeah, it's been so much fun talking to you, and I think you're, you know, the way that you present and do this podcast is absolutely brilliant. You're making it so accessible to so many people. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm 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 really grateful for you to to give us the opportunity to to come on and chat with you, uh, tonight. So thank you. Well, thank you
0: for the very kind words. It's very good of you. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, it's um, it's here everyone says this you do this great podcast it's pretty hard to do a good podcast with other folk yeah. on it <laughs> 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 you need you need the you need the good guests if I just come on here and talked for an hour folk would be pretty bored pretty quick oh, uh, I don't know
1: I don't know so <laughs> I think you <laughs> would uh, yeah. ask
0: my students to hear it all the time <laughs> okay uh, well that's it another R2 cast finished another agricultural mind opened up and I would just like to say that Getting these guests on board, it does take time and it always has done, but I've now went weekly and with that comes even more time required. And I would just like to finally thank once more the Scottish Farmer for sponsoring the show and making that much more possible. Please be sure to get in touch if you've any ideas of people you'd like to see on the podcast or maybe ideas you have for me presenting better, because I definitely do require that. See you in the next one.